And we're going to come to God's Word now, and it, we're looking at 2 Kings, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. So 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Two Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons, They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Well, before Andy comes and explains that to us, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it helps us know more of who you are and more of who the Lord Jesus is. And we pray that as Andy comes and speaks, we pray that you would strengthen him, uh, that you would equip him with everything he needs to explain this passage to us. And we pray uh, that we uh, might leave loving you more and that you uh, would be glorified in our eyes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for the wonderful music this morning. It's been great. And uh, we're looking forward to some more music too. Big welcome, everyone. It's lovely to be together this morning. Thank you for for joining us. And if you're joining us from Sandersted, we're so pleased that you are here. Um, If you don't know about Sandersted Evangelical Church, it's, uh, as Dan described, just down and up the hill. And uh, we've become working together, really, kind of sister churches. So they are praying for us, and we are praying for them. And it's a real joy to be connected, and uh, lovely to be connected in this way today. So thank you for coming. And for others of us just watching on the live stream or catching up on YouTube, we're so glad that you're here with us too. Well, we've been going through uh, Two Kings together, and I have so enjoyed uh, exploring this. And if you haven't heard the other talks, they're all online. And I would really encourage you um, to go and listen in. It's been some epic, um, epic things going on. Great battles, um, valleys flooded. Um, there's been um, kingdoms turned upside down. Go and explore and have a listen. It, it has been a brilliant series. And this, this morning, the whole series kind of zooms in to one little hut on the edge of a town, forgotten by everyone, dusty, poor family living there. You'd think after the sweep of what's been going on, you know, is this important? And we've just heard Dan reading to it, to us. It's a 
2 Kings and chapter 4 and verses 1 to 7. This is 3,000 years ago almost. I have friends um, who have lived on the edge of a capital city and at one stage they lived in a tumble-down hut made out of corrugated iron, pulled off of the scrap heap, dust on the floor, trying to make life work. And, well, this is that kind of family, really struggling. Let's read it all again, the story, and just talk about it as we go. It's only seven verses. So verse one, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. It's a horrific moment, isn't it? In the life of this person, of this family. So one, they are suffering bereavement. Dad has died, the husband has died, and they're all heartbroken. And who was this man? Well, we find that he's from the company of the prophets. Now, there has been this epic battle between good and evil played out um, in Israel at this point. There was a, an evil queen called Jezebel who was trying to put to death anyone who didn't bow the knee to Baal. And at one point, um, Elijah, the person who was the prophet before Elisha, said to God that all of the prophets are dead and I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And God says, actually, there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee yet to Baal. And so this guy, who's now died, was one of these people with real guts and courage who was prepared to lay down his life for the sake of the name of the Yahweh God, Jehovah. He wasn't going to bow his knee, whatever the cultural pressure was. He was going to be faithful to God. But now he's died. I wonder whether part of the reason that they are so stuck, so poor, so without resources is because well, normally, he would have just been working and earning and supporting the family, but they've all been in hiding. Clearly, this woman also, his wife, she hadn't bowed her knee to Baal, and she's one of the 7,002 faithful people. They'd been dodging and weaving and hiding underground, literally for some of them. A hundred of them had been put into two caves by a guy called Obadiah and uh, had been rescued that way. And perhaps he was one of these, 100 who'd been rescued like that, but of course not able to earn at that point. And so now, right at this stage, he's died unexpectedly, and they have no resources, probably because of his sacrificial life of wanting to live a life of worship to the God of heaven who he loves. Had he seen Elijah that last day? I don't know. Maybe he'd seen Elijah taken up to heaven. There was a, a subset of the company of prophets saw that, and they went off hunting, didn't they, for, for days, to try, three days to try and find his body. And I wonder about his last thoughts as he died, you know. Fear for his family, knowledge of this debt. But I wonder that whether perhaps such a man, as he died, who had known the faithfulness of God through his life, 
who had been prepared to lay down his life for the God of heaven, who now was accepting this was the point where he was going to pass into eternity himself. Perhaps he was so certain of the symphony of God's grace that as he died, he knew that his family was going to be cared for by the God of heaven who is so gracious and compassionate. Perhaps he encouraged them as he died just to keep looking to the God who is faithful, the God who is gracious. Perhaps he had told his wife, seek him, keep seeking him. He's going to provide for you, my love. And now he's died. And it's right at the brink because she's got two sons. This probably means that they're under 12 and the family owes money and there is somebody coming, going to take her two young sons away into slavery. Could there be just a more desperate moment in the history of the family? And here she is. She comes to Elisha and she says, look, your husband, my husband, your servant is dead. And she's crying out to God through Elisha. She's crying out to the Lord, the I am God, the God who is gracious and compassionate. Let's read verse 2. Elisha replied to her, how, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Dan, you read that so beautifully. I, I think it's hard to tell the tone of voice, isn't it, after 3,000 years. But I'm sure Dan got it right. Uh, Elisha's heart breaking with love for this dear woman who's been so faithful and who's on the brink of such a crisis, and he's longing to, to help. And he asks her, what do you have at home? You know, God isn't limited and by the resources we have at home. But it, of course, he often starts with what we do have at home, what we do have in our hands. And the depth of her poverty at this moment is really clear. She just has this little flask for anointing people. There was a man called Mr. Wiseman, and he uh, once spoke at Francis Road, I understand, and and he's quoted as, as describing this unique word as being just a tiny little flask, a tiny little, just holding a few droplets used normally just for anointing somebody. But it's got olive oil in it. I had a friend, um, I still got a friend. He, uh, he lives right on the south coast of Montenegro. And uh, I used to drive over the mountains and through very dusty um, dry cities, and then you'd come over the mountains, and then suddenly out in front of you would be the, the, the sea, beautiful. And then you'd drive down into the city, and up in the quieter part of town, there was this quite small little house where my friend Daniel lived. And he rented it from someone, and there in his garden was one tree, but it was the most enormous olive tree, gnarled and twisted and reaching out towards the sea and towards the sunshine. And if you went later in the year, it would be covered in olives. And he'd describe to me how, you know, a neighbor had an olive press. And this neighbor would come, together they'd take all the olives down, and then they would press these precious olives. 
and uh, half of the oil would come back to Daniel and the other half his friend would sell in the market. But it's like liquid gold, beautiful. You could, um, in those times, you'd, you'd use it for, um, for makeup. You'd use it for fuel. You'd use it for light. You'd use it for cooking. It, it did everything, olive oil. Beautiful. You know the fragrance. Isn't it wonderful stuff? But that's all she has. And verse 3. Elisha said, Go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So Elisha tells the woman what to do and what will happen. You know, borrowing is what's got them stuck. But she's told now to go borrow some more, actually, and to go around and borrow from all of her neighbors as many flasks as she can. And she's told what will happen. She understands. So she goes out, and probably the boys go out too, and they're asking all the neighbors, could we just borrow your jars, please? And the neighbors give to them lots of jars, not just a few. And then they're told in private to close the door, said twice in this passage, and then pour the oil and put the jar aside. Verse 5. She left him and shut the door behind her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. There's no description of how the jars were collected and what people said. We just go straight from the scene of being told, and they're into the house. And again, the the emphasis of the door being closed behind them. And the, the mum is, is pouring this tiny little thing and there's this miraculous provision of more and more of this olive oil as all of these gathered jars are filled one after the next. And these sons who've perhaps thought, well, God had deserted us. God had forgotten us. Dad's died. And they put down the next one and it fills right up with olive oil. And they're bringing another one. They've never seen so much olive oil. This miraculous intervention moving their hearts as they bring these jars and watch their mum perhaps tears in their faces as they realize their whole destiny, their whole future is being changed at this moment as these jars are being filled and filled. It's a miracle. And then she goes and tells the man of God. That's verse 7. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So she goes to Elisha and says, this is what has happened. And he almost gives her permission to have it. Perhaps she sees it still as God's. And he says, no, you can sell that. And you can then pay your debts. And then you can live on what is left. What an incredible story. We're just in this little hut on the side of town. Nobody knows about it, really. And God loves this family and he cares for them and he's providing for them. So what has happened? Well, Chris, we'll switch this one. Thanks. So what has happened? Well, the first thing is this. They have come to a dead end. A dead end where it seems 
that there's no future, no way forward, no way that there could be ever hope or life. I wanted to put up a big picture of a cross in a moment, and hopefully it's going to come. <laughs> we'll see. I'll get another drink of water while we're waiting. Chris, we're going to do this, even though... Here we go. We've got to, we, we'll build in moments like this for the icebreakers. Keep everyone relaxed. I think my phone's turned off or something. There we go. Right. There it is. It's not Chris, it's me, not Chris. Great. Welcome back, everyone. We can edit that out on YouTube. Let's try again. One more go. If it doesn't work. Ah, oh, yes. Okay. So, what's happened? She's reached a dead end. There's no way forward. There's no hope. There's no resources left. But then, what happens is this, that she turns to the God of heaven to pray, to ask him. Perhaps, Chris, you could just touch the phone. Oh, yes. Well done, Chris. Thank you so much. And she cries out to God. That's number two. That's what happens next. And as she cries out to God... Well, this is what happens next, isn't it, Chris? Let's just touch it again. Thank you. As she cries out to God, well, God opens. God opens the way. And he makes a way. But her life isn't saved. She isn't safe yet because she needs to now... Thanks, Chris. She needs to now act and take a step of obedience and faith. And as she takes this step of obedience and faith, as she moves in obedience of faith, thanks, Chris, then she experiences rescue. Then she experiences rescue. Thanks, Chris. So these five steps, dead end, she cries out to God, she finds that God has made a way and God opens that way. She moves in obedience and faith and then experiences rescue. I don't know how you see the whole story of the Bible, but the whole story of the Bible could be described in different ways. But one way, a little different might be, to think of it as a, as a symphony. You know, a symphony with repeated phrases. Um, I've brought my um, non-classical instrument here. And uh, here we go. A, a symphony, you can imagine now, a piece of music, and there's a flute in the corner, and it's playing. That's how it all begins, you know. And, uh, and then, in a moment, there's this kind of, perhaps it's a euphonium or something, and it... Uh, And, uh, and it builds and builds, and another instrument comes in. It's just the same phrase repeated again and again, different registers, different places, and later the whole band. Just repeating and harmonies, building and building, 
a symphony with the same phrase echoing again and again. And you know, the Bible is like that too, with this with different phrases that are repeated again and again, like a symphony, building and building. Dead end, stuck, no way forward. Then turning to God and crying out to him for intervention. Then he intervenes and and makes a way. Those who cried out respond in obedience and faith, and they experience rescue. And here we are in a little hut in the middle of nowhere 3,000 years ago, and we're hearing this phrase of this symphony that's repeated through the whole of the, the scriptures. You could find it when Moses should have been killed as a baby, and instead there's a way that his, his family trust and place him in the hands of God and he's rescued. Or the Exodus story where the the people, they're going to die and they're crying out to God and he intervenes and he opens the way and they're rescued as they respond in obedience and faith. The Red Sea opens, the, the water from the rock. There's the snake in the desert. They're in desperate straits. They're all dying. And then God makes a way and they respond in obedience and faith and they are rescued. Leviticus, the whole lot of it, is how the nation can live in relationship with the God that they actually uh, should be far from. The Jordan opens. Jericho collapses. There's judges. The whole book, there is individuals like Ruth and Naomi, again and again, people who are in this position of a dead end, and they cry out to God, he opens a way, they move in obedience and faith, and they experience rescue. Hannah, David and Goliath, Hezekiah, Daniel, the return from Babylon, Nehemiah, Esther. If you know the Bible, you'll know this symphony, this phrase that echoes on and on, dead end, cry out to God. He's made a way. Respond in obedience and faith. Rescue. Why would God be repeating this in his dealings with his people? Well, he wants to show us what his character is, how he works. His character of grace and how he stoops to intervene. How those who are humbled, they're the ones he can lift up. Imagine if um, there's Pete Thompson and he's got his uh, nice car and he's swinging out into the main road. And uh, as he drives, he switches on his radio and then suddenly in the distance you just hear, you just hear the correct notes. And that's all. And then he's gone. His windows are still open, but he's just driving up the road, and so you don't hear anymore. But your own heart, well, you know it. It resonates with you because you've heard the symphony. You've heard the, you've heard the song. And so you just hear the first two notes, and then you, your heart, adds the rest. You know the flow. You know how it works. And that's what God has been doing all through the Scriptures as this repeated symphony, this repeated phrase from the symphony echoes again and again. You know, the Bible begins with the ultimate dead end set in Genesis. People cut off from God. No future, no hope. How could this possibly resolve? Yet this symphony, that we're, this phrase that we're hearing in the house of this woman who's provided for by this olive oil, 
where we realize that there might be hope after all. Could this impossible tangle be untangled? And this repeated melody of God's gracious intervention is going to reach a climax as he comes in the person of Jesus. We explored together Romans a few months ago, didn't we? And we saw there how we've hit a dead end. How all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our story, Romans 3.23. But there's a cry to God like Romans 7.24, who can save me? What a wretched man I am. And then we find Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we were to respond in obedience and faith, declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we respond in obedience and faith, then we experience rescue. And this woman, she experienced a little corner of it, a little echo, distant echo of the melody But we are able this morning to celebrate the climax of it all as the whole orchestra plays because we have now the opportunity to look back and see that Jesus died. God coming for us. Yes, we were stuck, but Jesus died in our place. God opened a way. And if we put our trust in the Jesus who has died and risen from the dead, then we experience the ultimate rescue, not just able to live for a few more days, but able to live in relationship with the God of heaven who has made us and able to be certain about our eternity too. And I think God wants this melody, this phrase of grace to to resonate in our lives. Come to Jesus is the message, isn't it? Come to Jesus. Come to God. She she was at a dead end, and she cries out to God. Spiritually, we're all at a dead end, and he calls us to come to him. And as we do, he opens the way through Jesus. And as we put our trust in him, then we experience rescue. Now, that is so important for the very most important question of our own spiritual destiny. Are you relying on yourself to reach heaven? We're not going to make it. We need to recognize we've hit the end of our resources. We need a rescue. We need the God who comes here to die in our place. Put your trust in Jesus and experience that rescue. But for others, many of us who are already walking with Jesus... You know, it's good to note those points when we get to a dead end, when it feels like there's no future, when there's no way forward. Bring those to Jesus. I write them down into my little book and tell him that I'm stuck. And those are the points then when, as I come with a, a broken situation, that I find God opening a way. Now, it might not be the way that I hoped But I do find, and many of us would testify, that God is the one who intervenes and comes in as we then rely on him. Some struggling with relationships, some with financial things, some with mental health. 
perhaps people who you love who just don't seem to be turning to Jesus and they need him. Well, let's keep bringing these apparent dead-end situations. Recognize that there's no way we can fix it. Cry out to God and see him opening a way as we keep putting our trust in him and look for his rescue. We're going to pray and then Dan is going to lead us on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this symphony of grace that echoes through the, the whole of history. Lord, we thank you that you want us to see that spiritually we are all at a dead end. We can't make it, we can't fix it. But you want to bring us to cry out to you, to ask for your intervention. Lord, thank you that as we do, we see that you have opened the way. That, Lord Jesus, you have died instead of us. You call us to put our trust in him, to move in obedience and faith, to receive his rescue. Lord, we pray that any of us listening or sitting in this room who haven't made that step, that even today we would make that step that we would put our trust in you, Jesus, experience your forgiveness and the life in all its fullness that you wait to give us. And then many of us in this room have different situations that seem like dead ends. We're walking with you, but we feel stuck in this way or that way. Lord, let us bring these things to you. Let us cry out to you because we know that you are the loving and good shepherd who's going to lead us forward. And we pray that we would look for your intervention, that we would keep on moving forward in obedience and faith, however dark the valley might be. And Lord, that we would experience your continued grace, your continued rescue. Help us to talk to others about the challenges we're facing. Let us be praying for each other, standing with each other, as we continue, we worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen.